This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide. The heartbeat of Saskatchewan is agriculture. 620 CKRM is proud to be your voice for everything A. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with your host, Jim Smalley. And a good afternoon. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. It's brought to you by Harvard Western Insurance. We don't judge. Here's another reminder to renew your plates today. Visit harvardwestern.com. And brought to you by the Arcola Co-op. You're at home here on Highway 13 in Arcola. Also brought to you by Karst Holdings in Assiniboia and Schlamps Integra Tire in Grenfell. Your locally owned Integra Tire dealers. Today we have our usual Friday look at grain markets. Canola is down $5 for the week, but wheat has gained 15 cents a bushel. A grocer defends the rising cost of food at the store shelf in a Commons Agriculture Committee hearing. Pasture management, a bill to protect farm supply management industries, and an awareness summit are also on today's show. The farm weather is in its usual spot at the bottom of the hour. This is Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with 620 CKRM Agri-News Director Jim Smalley. Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Johnston's Grain, your first and last stop for grain pricing and crop protection. And brought to you by Farm Fresh Water. They'll make your well water wonderful and your dugout drinkable. Get your Farm Fresh Water today at farmfreshwater.ca. Grain markets were mixed this past week. PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Pacallo says canola is down about $5 per metric tonne, while spring wheat futures have risen 15 cents a bushel. Well, Jim, starting off on the canola front, the March contract is down approximately $5 a tonne on the week. Currently, on today, we are down about $2.5, sitting at eight twenty-five a tonne. On the wheat side of things, Minneapolis wheat on the March contract increased approximately 15 cents a bushel. Today, we are actually up about 17 cents at about $9.34. So today, the story that I'm kind of looking at here is definitely on the wheat front. We're seeing a pretty big rally here in Chicago, up about 32 cents, and Kansas up about 34 cents here on the day. We did see some bullish numbers from the USDA report on Wednesday. We saw small changes to the U.S. and world stocks. Both were below the average estimates. Steady exports and use definitely. The only maybe slight bearish side of the report was Australian production is up 3.8% month over month. But right now it seems that traders are again kind of watching some of the weather in the U.S. and we might be having a bit of a a short covering rally here today. However, what I'm going to be talking about with producers is to definitely be considering rallies like this as potential selling opportunities. Are we done here yet? Not sure, but I think it's something to definitely keep a close eye on. That's sweet. What pushed canola down $5 a ton? Canola has been really trading quite sideways here kind of for the month of February. We saw, again, a bit of a rally off the lows kind of back at the end of January when it dipped below $800 a ton. Now we're sitting at, again, about 825 here right now. It has definitely been kind of affected by some of the, the weather that's affecting soybeans and the meal and the oil. Today, 
one thing I always like to talk about with clients is how markets affect other markets. So with beans up 16 cents here today, soybean oil up a dollar 25 today, we might see canola go positive on the day because it's it is still again down a, a few dollars. So I always like to look at how markets are interconnected and help advise clients with their marketing. So the outlook next week and beyond. Well, it'll be important to see if this rally in wheat is something that can be sustained. It has been, you know, again, still really trading sideways with the range, you know, of about 40 cents here. So Minneapolis now is at the top end of that range at around 9.30. Chicago is definitely starting to break out. And if we do see it above $8, that could definitely bring, you know, Minneapolis up with it as well. Adam Piccolo is a Commodity Futures Advisor with PI Financial. Back to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with Jim Spalding on 620 CKRM. While the attack on Canada's grocery companies, led mostly by the federal NDP, seems focused on the big grocery chains, there are also thousands of independent grocers in Canada that are feeling the impact of those accusations. Gary Sands is the chairman of Canada's Independent Grocers, and he provided this perspective to the Commons Agriculture Committee this week as it investigates food inflation across the country. There's approximately 6,900 independent grocers in Canada, ranging in size from large, medium to single-store operators. Many of those independents are also located in semi-rural, rural and remote communities where they are most likely the only grocery store in that community. So issues around issues around fair supply and affordability in those areas are closely linked to food security for those communities. Our members also have a sort of symbiotic relationship with the communities they serve, living in the community, hiring local, buying local, supporting local community activities and causes. And this bond is why they are such an important part of the tapestry that makes up this country from myriad diverse communities. So naturally, independent retailers are extremely sensitive to concerns around affordability that are being felt by their customers, who are also many times their friends and neighbors. That is why we feel the suggestion that there is greedflation or profiteering taking place in the food industry is something our members find unfortunate. As the most recent study last August by Dalhousie's Agri-Food Lab pointed out, and I quote, If greedflation exists, the available data suggests grocers are not responsible. Let me be clear that while I'm here today to represent independent grocers, we know that the cost pressures and challenges confronting the food industry are being borne by all. There is no bogeyman here, not retail grocers, not suppliers. And when you're an independent grocer and you're receiving price increase notices from all of your suppliers that are often, most often in the double digits, if your margins are 2 to 3%, then we don't know what business model you can use that you can't help but pass those costs on to your consumers. All of us in the industry have talked about the issues that have impacted us over the last couple of years. Some of the most significant have been the impact of catastrophic flooding in BC, adverse weather events in Western Canada, including a virus and drought in California. Of course, the continuing war in the Ukraine, port, rail and border disruptions, significant increases in fuel surcharges. It's really not about what has happened to hit the industry. It's more about what hasn't happened. That's Gary Sands, the chair of Canadian Independent Grocers, appearing before the Commons Agriculture Committee this week. Time now for Real Agriculture with Sean Haney on 620 CKRM. This is your realagriculture.com update. 
Bring the energy of Real Ag Radio to your next customer meeting or conference. From your stage, we'll record an episode in person to inform and provide insight on the latest in agriculture. Email advertising at realagriculture.com to learn more about this unique keynote opportunity. Hey, Kara Ustros here with realagriculture.com. I am here today with Dr. Vic Adamovich, who is an environmental economist in the Faculty of Agriculture, Life, and Environmental Sciences at the University of Alberta. So recently you guys have done some research when it comes to carbon capturing natural areas. And, and as we know, they... These areas can play a big part in the country's overall strategy to lower greenhouse gas emissions. So what can you tell me about this research? So we were asked to evaluate the potential for nature in all sectors, agriculture, forestry, coastal areas. What's the potential for nature to play a a role in sequestering carbon to try to help Canada achieve its greenhouse gas emissions reductions goals or its climate change goals? So that was the big question. And so the group of us looked across the country and tried to identify where the possibilities were and how much was available. And across all the sectors, our estimate is that somewhere about 6% of, or we could achieve about a 6% emissions reduction with nature-based systems, including all systems. So talk about some of these nature-based systems. What are they? What are some examples? So examples would be, you know, things that people think about often are planting trees. Um, In agriculture, we could think about soil management programs moving to no-till or conservation till or growing cover crops. Um, We can think about restoring wetlands or avoiding conversion of wetlands or grasslands. So all these kind of things that would either sequester carbon, so they'll suck up more carbon into the natural systems, or they'll avoid release of carbon. So avoid conversions that will release carbon into the atmosphere. So in the actual report itself, I seen there was reference to NCBs. Now, are these your nature-based systems you're talking about? Is this a different acronym or how does that kind of fit in? The one that we often used was NBCSs, so nature-based climate solutions or nature-based carbon solutions. Sometimes people refer to them in different ways. It's the same sort of idea that these are different parts of nature, whether they be forest lands, agricultural lands, wetlands. So what what role can nature play in providing a solution to carbon sequestration or alleviating, alleviating climate change concerns? I mean, obviously there's limitations to everything, but what were some of the limitations that came up when you were looking at NBCSs? So one of the, one of the limitations is just, is it feasible to actually sequester carbon biologically, technically within these systems? And the other one, because I'm an economist, I'm always interested in just how expensive would it be? Some are more expensive than others. And uh, all of these policies have would have different costs because they would involve people doing things that they wouldn't normally do, whether it's changing cropping patterns or um, restoring wetlands. Those are all kind of expensive. And so what would the costs be like? Then there are other challenges, like how exactly would the programs work? How would people engage in the programs? Um, how would they be compensated for them if they were being paid for a particular program? So all of that policy element is also a, an implementation limitation. And on the policy front, I mean, we know the conversation is going on with the federal government, with the provincial governments when it comes to carbon sequestration. 
where is that conversation at when it comes to some of the research you're working on? Are they listening to your research? Are they, where are we at? Yeah, I think, I think some of that conversation, I think a lot of that conversation is going on. It was the federal government agencies that actually asked us initially to look at this question. That's how this process worked, is Environment Climate Change Canada and six other ministries requested this be done. So that's part of the conversation. Uh, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada has a number of programs ongoing right now. They're, they're calling some of them their, their living labs programs. There are other programs to try to better understand nature-based climate solutions. So the conversation's starting. And I think, you know, in Alberta, we've had some history. We've, we've had some carbon emissions reductions and carbon offset programs in the province. So we know how some of those programs work and some of the limitations. And I think we can add to that conversation. This has been your Real Agriculture Update. You can find out more about this issue or many others at realagriculture.com. It's your agri-weather forecast on the voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. The Real Agriculture Report has been brought to you by Karst Holdings in Assiniboia and Schlamps Integra Tire in Grenfell, your locally owned Integra Tire dealers. The official 620 CKRM farm weather is brought to you by Shepherd Realty in Regina, specializing in farm and ranch real estate in Saskatchewan. Call Harry, Justin, or Devin at 352-1866. And Moose Jaw Truck Shop, the number one choice for any diesel engine repair. Drop in, no appointment necessary, or visit moosejawtruckshop.com. A few clouds today, wind southwest 20, the high zero, the low minus five. Saturday, sunny with winds west 20, the high minus 1, the low minus 7. Sunday, sunny, the high minus 1, the low minus 7 again. Monday, sunny, the high plus 1, the low minus 8. Tuesday, partly cloudy, the high minus 6, the low minus 17. Wednesday, partly cloudy, the high minus 11, the low minus 17. Thursday, partly cloudy with a high of minus 10. The normal low is minus 19. The normal high for this date is minus 8. The sun rose at 8.20 this morning. It sets at 6.06 tonight. And currently in the province, the hot spot is Maple Creek at plus 8 degrees. The cold spot up north, Collins Bay at minus 17. Estevan is minus 2. Saskatoon minus 3. Swift Current is plus 2. Weyburn minus 3. Yorkton minus 6. Regina has partly cloudy sky. It's minus 2. That's 28 Fahrenheit. Winds are from the southwest at 14. Humidity is 75%. Their barometric pressure falling 101.5. Cloudy and Moose Jaw plus 2. Winds are from the west, southwest 46, gusting to 61. Once again, Regina part to cloudy and minus 2. That's 28 Fahrenheit. This spring, apply pre-emergent Edge Microactive Group 3 herbicide from Gowan Canada. Before seeding your canola, peas, or lentils, maximize yield today and manage resistance tomorrow. Always read and follow label directions. From Gowan, Canada. You're tuned to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today on the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers, McDougalAuctions.com. And brought to you by Patterson Liquid Systems. Experts in liquid fertilizer distribution. Fertilizer's just better when it's wetter. Patterson Liquid Systems expect the best. A private member's bill introduced in the House of Commons by the Bloc is now heading for committee. Bill 282 essentially prevents any further concessions in future international trade deals when it comes to Canada's supply-managed farm industries, like dairy. 
Second reading of the bill easily passed through the Commons this week, with both the Prime Minister and the leaders of the Tories and the NDP also voting in favour of the bill. During negotiations to secure a new NAFTA, the U.S. demanded changes to Canada's supply-managed industries. In the end, Canada opened the border to more imports of U.S. and Mexican dairy products as a concession. This bill, if passed, would prevent that in the future. In all of the most recent trade deals, like the European Trade Agreement and the new NAFTA, the federal government is compensating supply-managed industries for lost market share in order to secure those deals. Some of the payments to the industry, like for the new NAFTA, will be doled out over the next several years. The bill might be getting support in the House, but outside there is some concern. In a written statement issued yesterday, the president of the Canadian Agri-Food Trade Alliance said his members strongly oppose Bill 282. Dan Darling says the legislation creates a dangerous precedent and diminishes Canada as a free trade partner. He says it contradicts established trade rules and urged MPs to vote it down as the next available opportunity. The Commons Trade Committee will discuss the bill in the coming weeks. Livestock producers face a challenge ensuring pasture proper management during dry years. The range management specialist for the Ministry of Agriculture and Swift Current, Trevor Lennox, has some tips for producers. From a management perspective, many producers already employ rotational grazing practices on their operation. A typical grazing rotation may look like this for many producers. Starting off in the spring calving pasture close to headquarters in spring, Moving on to, you know, one or more summer paddocks through the summer, perhaps maybe a fall field for grazing during weaning time in the fall, and then a winter field. However, sometimes the producer may ask, what more, in addition to a, a rotational grazing system, can be done to improve the health and pasture and productivity of my pasture? Here are a few management suggestions to further fine-tune a rotational grazing system. Consider changing the season of use. Changing season of use ensures that the same field doesn't get used at the same time each year, year after year. This means having a rotational grazing plan so that grazing occurs at a different time each year. Some may ask, why is this even important? Well, pastures can be very diverse, and there are benefits to maintaining this diversity. If a particular field is grazed at the same time each year, there will be certain plants favored, and if continued for a series of years, the entire plant community will change to reflect this. There is a saying, if you do what you've always done, you will continue to get what you always got. And this is very true from a pasture manager perspective as well. We are creatures of habit and like to do the same thing over and over, such as grazing fields in the same sequential order year after year. The use of a deferred rotational grazing system can be one option to improve pasture health where the manager uses a deferral or a delay of grazing to enable vulnerable plants to regrow and recover from a previous grazing event. And once the first field is grazed in the spring, and the herd removed, there is a long rest period from grazing to enable the plants to fully recover and recharge root energy. For additional information on pasture management, please reach out to a range management extension specialist such as myself, Trevor Lennox, by calling Ministry of Agriculture at 1-866-457-2377. Trevor Lennox is the range management extension specialist for the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture in Swift Current. You're listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with 620 CKRM News Director Jim Smalley. This segment of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Diggleman Industries. Look to Diggleman for the most reliable, dependable, engineered tough equipment on the market. And Arcola Building Supplies, small town lumberyard, big on service. ArcolaBuildingSupplies.com.
The latest Saskatchewan Water Security Agency report does not expect any flooding in the Saskatchewan Grain Belt during runoff this spring. Water Security Agency spokesman Sean Osmar says the information is based on conditions at the 1st of February. Yeah, so this is uh, this is our preliminary report, like you said, uh, and it's it's used uh, it's compiled using uh, data from from conditions that freeze up, so what it was like going into late fall, early spring, or early winter, uh, as well as precipitation that's accumulated to this point. Uh, so what we'll be doing next is uh, we'll be going out uh, across the province doing some actual snowpack surveys. We'll have our our people in the field actually measuring snow depth in, in about a hundred different locations across the province. Uh, and that'll help fill out, uh, you know, the fuller report that we'll release in March. Um, that'll, that'll have, you know, more complete data and a more accurate picture. Um, what it looks like right now, what our preliminary report looks like right now, is uh, we should be, you know, a little bit below to near normal for, for much of the province. Um, there's few areas, of course, that are uh, below normal, and, and then a, a pocket uh, mostly around the Maple Creek area that's well below normal. Osmar provides an update on expected water levels for the Capel River system. So as things look right now, uh, Capel, the, the Capel system does look good. Looks like we should uh, we should expect to see, you know, pretty normal levels of, of uh, water levels through there into spring and summer. Uh, we're not expecting significant runoff uh, at this point. Of course, you know, with uh, several weeks of winter left, we could still see uh, more snow accumulations uh, and additional precipitation, which would obviously change things. Um, you know, further up the waters, to the headwaters there, uh, the alpine snowpack, it looks like we're, we're in pretty good shape there. It looks to be pretty normal. Um, and again, we'll have to wait and see how that develops come, uh, come melt. And as for the Suris River Basin? So Suris River, I mean, going into uh, freeze-up report, they were a little bit drier than normal. Um, but we saw some, uh, you know, late fall, early winter uh, precipitation down that way, which did, does help. Uh, overall, we expect to see, you know, pretty normal mounts. Uh, we expect to see those, uh, those major reservoirs down there be full, uh, from the runoff, uh, for, you know, spring and summer operations. Uh, again, it looks like we're going to be kind of a normal, uh, as it stands right now, sort of a normal runoff expectation. Um, you know, of course, we, we have to wait and see, uh, you know, like last summer, last year, we had uh, a slower melt. Uh, so the, the speed of the melt will also determine, you know, to some extent how much of this will, will run off, how much will stay with the soil. Uh, so we're watching to see how that will develop as well. An updated report will be released in March. As U.S.-China relations cool amid trade disputes and espionage fears stoked by the Chinese spy balloon shot down off the Atlantic coast, lawmakers in Congress and at least 11 state houses are weighing legislation to further limit foreign ownership of U.S. farmland. The proposals were introduced earlier this month out of concern for long-term food security and land potentially being used as a perch for spying, a claim getting even more attention after the spy balloon crossed over the U.S. The efforts reflect how worries about Chinese influence have expanded beyond Washington, D.C. There's a new potato king in Canada. Alberta surpassed Prince Edward Island last year, according to the latest numbers from Stats Canada. Alberta grabbed the number one spot with 26.8 million hundredweight of potatoes, only 200,000 ahead of Prince Edward Island. Manitoba was the third largest potato province at 26.1 million hundredweight. Saskatchewan was well down the list in eighth place at 1.45 million hundredweight. However, Stats Canada notes that its production numbers for Saskatchewan are to be used with caution. Potato production grew 1.5% on a national basis last year. 
Stats Canada reports 122.9 million hundredweight of potatoes were harvested last year on just over 381,000 acres. An Agricultural Awareness Summit is coming up in Saskatoon. The summit is scheduled for February 14th and 15th. That's next Tuesday and Wednesday. It's being held in Saskatoon. Here's the market updates with Jim Smalley on 620 CKRM. Market update is brought to you by Freeze Tallman Lumber. Since 1956, Freeze Tallman has been your trusted building material supplier for every type of project. Freeze Tallman in Regina and Fort Capel. And Farm Fresh Water. They'll make your well water wonderful and your dugout drinkable. Get your Farm Fresh Water today at farmfreshwater.ca. Grain prices at Viterra were mixed in early trading this morning. Canola gained 30 cents per metric ton at $809.22. Flax dropped $20 per ton at $636.98. Number one red spring wheat rose $248 at $415.57. The rest were unchanged. Durham, 442.26. Feed barley, 372.58. Chickpeas, 1168.45. Lentils, $694.40. Oats, 229.32. Yellow peas, 459.88. And feed wheat, 289.56. On the Minneapolis Grain Exchange, hard red spring wheat for March went up one and three quarter cents at 9.35 a bushel. It's the Livestock Reports on the Voice of Saskatchewan, 620 CKRM. The Livestock Quotes are brought to you by the Weyburn Livestock Exchange. Call Weyburn Livestock, 842-4574. And now, the latest Livestock Quotes. This is Grant Barnett with the Market Report, Heartland Livestocker in Moose Jaw. 300 unoffered, our Thursday regular sales, consisting of mostly cows, was sold steady to last week. There's quite a difference between these big, strong, high-yielding cows on grade and medium hay-fed cows or lower-yielding cows. These good, big, strong cows, 98 to $1.07. We did have a big 1,805-pound cow at $1.12 from the Hawkins Brothers at a Shamrock. Hay-fed cows, 86 to 97 Shelly cows are being discounted. Pre-sorted yearling sale here Tuesday. I don't think I've ever seen these 750 weight and downweight cows bring this kind of money at this time of year. This is Grant Barnett reporting. Let's have one great afternoon. And now the latest Saskatchewan pork prices for today. This is for both the Brandon and Moose Jaw plants. It's $185.28 per CKG. That's about 17 cents less than yesterday. In Regina, with partly cloudy skies, it's minus 2. That's 28 Fahrenheit. Moose Jaw cloudy and plus 2. Coming up, the Resource Report. This is the Saskatchewan Resource Report on 620 CKRM. Here's Jim Smalley. Now the Resource Report, brought to you by Second Look Online Auction. Visit 2ndlookonlineauction.com to see what's up for bid. Saskatoon-based Cameco says Ukraine's state-owned nuclear energy utility has reached a deal to purchase all its nuclear fuel needs through 2035 from Cameco. Cameco President Tim Gitzel says his company is pleased to play an essential role in helping Ukraine gain supply security for their nuclear fuel. He says the deal has the potential to be the single largest supply contract in Cameco's history. Cameco will supply all the fuel for nine nuclear reactors, requiring about 40 million pounds of uranium concentrate for the 12-year contract. The contract also has an option for the fuel requirements for the six reactors currently under Russian control, which would mean additional sales of 27 million pounds over the contract period. Financial terms were not released. 
The Saskatchewan Research Council has signed an agreement with Star Group to further develop the rare earth element supply chain in the province. The agreement was signed at Star Group's permanent magnet manufacturing plant in South Korea during a trade mission involving Trade Minister Jeremy Harrison. The agreement includes technology development and commercial product sale. The Saskatchewan Research Council is building North America's first fully integrated rare earth processing facility to be fully operational next year. On the markets today, the TSX is down 39 points at 20,558. The Dow has risen 47 points to 33,747. Oil has gone up $1.66 at 7972 a barrel. The Canadian dollar is at 74.80 cents US. That's the resource report. If you missed any segment of the show, tune in to the On Demand Saskatchewan Agriculture Today podcast. Brought to you by Gowan Canada. Gowan Canada understands the challenges growers face and takes pride in finding effective crop protection solutions. Visit GowanCanada.com to learn more. That's Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. I'm Jim Smalley. Good afternoon and good farming. You've been listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with Jim Smalley on 620 CKRM. If you missed any of the broadcast, download the podcast now online at 620CKRM.com. Saskatchewan Agriculture Today, following the 12 o'clock news, on your voice for everything ag, 620 CKRM. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide.